This lesson is the is a continuation of last week, and which we started on Romans 12.1, and so this part we're going to do the second half of it, but it's not just going to be focused solely on Romans 12.2. We're going to tie some other things into it. Last week we saw that Paul was urging, he said, therefore I urge you, brethren, to believers, by the mercies of God, based on everything that you've done for us, or that he's done for us, he says, I urge you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, to give up your <laughs> desires, to give up what you want for what God wants for you. When we do that, we know that that's what our will aligns with his. But then he goes on, and he says, so, uh, he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a, a living sacrifice, uh, which is your spiritual, your logical, or reasonable service of worship. Uh, it's supposed to be well-pleasing. And he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what the will of God is, that which is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. And so that's the part that we're going to focus on today. Before we get to that, look at this verse. We're going to start with this verse and we're going to end with it because it kind of encapsulates what we're getting at. Uh, last week we saw the charge. Offer your lives as a living sacrifice is what he said. Keep that in the back of your mind as we read this. Because who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And don't fear their intimidation. Don't be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. And do it with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience that in the thing which you slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So, as we look at this lesson, I want you to think about how you can be motivated and how you can be encouraged like, to make your life count for Christ. Because just like Peter says here, who's there to harm you if, you're, if you prove zealous for what's good? And even if you are harmed, then you're blessed. And you will be blessed. And he says, don't be afraid to live a life. Don't be afraid to live a life for God and to live a life for Jesus Christ. Don't be intimidated by the world, but instead sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, and yet with gentleness and reverence. So today, what are our goals? Our first one is just to consider, continue the study that we started last week, learning the methods and the results of offering our lives to God as a living sacrifice. And really, for each one of you, but the goal for this lesson is so each individual person will consider that and to think about what God's will is for you. Quick review, we saw last week in verse 1 that God's mercy to us through Christ and the Holy Spirit is unequal in importance and relevance. Why is that true? Why is it important that God's mercy to us through Christ and the Holy Spirit is unequal in importance and relevance? Do you guys remember last week when we talked about mercy? mess up every day. Okay, yeah, so we sing. <coughs> and what does that have to do with it? The fact that we sin every day. His mercies are new every day. Yeah. And how is it merciful in that we sin every day? How is he showing his mercy? Give us what we deserve. That's right. <coughs> the wages of sin is death. It's separation. Uh, but we have a provision. 
God in His mercy sent Jesus as a satisfactory payment for all those things that we do that we mess up every day. He's merciful in that He sent Jesus. We saw last week in Titus 2, He said that for the grace of God has appeared to all men, uh, and when that grace is Jesus. Because of Him, the great mercies and grace that He's shown us, uh, we're supposed to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. What else is merciful? What else is unequaled in importance for you, for each individual? What does he give you when you believe? That's a, that's a mercy. That's a grace. You don't deserve eternal life. Nobody does. But God in his great mercy offers us eternal life because of what Jesus did. It's unequaled in importance, and there's nothing more relevant to, to our lives than what Jesus did for us. And that's his whole point in verse 1. Because of what Jesus did, it's only logical that we turn around and offer our lives back to him in service, or our bodies in service. And that's where I have here. Because of the magnitude of the implications of these mercies, we should make the decision to offer our lives in service to God. That's why Paul begs us. He urges us. And we're going to see that here in <coughs> We saw in chapter 12, verse 1, that Paul urges with great emphasis or begs who? Believers. To offer their lives as sacrifices. Based on the magnitude of God's great mercy. That's it. You can have love, mercy, grace, any of those words work there. But in the specific context of this verse, we're calling it mercy. And from God's perspective, this sacrifice is what? Does anyone remember the word that. What you say? Yeah, it is only logical, but it's, it is logical. We're, that's the next one. Uh, but this one is it was well pleasing. The verse says it's, re, it's uh, acceptable to God, is what it says in the NASB. And that word there we looked at last week was that it's well-pleasing. It was good to God. And then just what Paige said, the next one is that the sacrifice is logical, or it's the reasonable thing that believers are asked to do, and that we should want to do. Based on his... Or based on our understanding of what he's done for us. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, your logical service of worship. And then he says here at the start of verse 2, and don't be conformed to this world. We've talked a little bit about the world system in this class. <coughs> There's actually something different at heart here, though. It, it goes together, but it's not the same. He says, don't be conformed to this world. What does it mean to be conformed? Oh, it's ways. Yeah. yeah, I think so. So the world has a certain way about it. It does certain things. And when we fall into that, we start to look like it because we start to say, we start to sound like it, we start to look like it. And the world system is opposite in, in opposition to who? 
God, that's the exact opposite of what he wants for us. Uh, we're not to be conformed to this world. Is that a positive or a negative? Positive. So because he says, do not, it makes it a negative. And any time that Paul uses a negative, he often, and really most of the time, contrasts it with a positive. By negative, I mean, don't do this. He gives a negative statement. Don't be conformed to the world. But what? Be transformed by the remaining of your mind. So he starts off with a negative exhortation before he tells us what we should do. So before we focus on what we're supposed to do, let's understand what we're not supposed to do. Okay? The root word for conformed here in the Bible is transliterated, excuse me, transliterated suskematizo, and it has the idea of patterning yourself or shaping yourself like something. Uh, you can use molded if you think like somebody molding something a certain way, or like if you have like cookie cutters or your Play-Doh stuff that molded something a certain way. It's the same idea. We're not supposed to be shaped like the world. Paul's saying, don't be shaped by the world. It's the idea of patterning yourself or, uh, after or shaping something like something. It's the same root word that we get the word schematic or blueprint from. He's saying, don't follow the course of the world. Don't be shaped by the world. Don't follow the blueprint that the world sets out for you. Okay. And I put the definition of what we uh, called the world last time when we're talking about the fallen world system. It's the intentionally arranged system of cultures that are controlled by Satan to ensnare us, distract us, cause us to stumble, and keep us from God. It is specifically and purposefully contrary to God. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. The world is the, what kind of existence is it? It's counterfeit. Why is it counterfeit? Because it's contrary to God. It's, it's contrary to God. Who develops it? And he's the counterfeit God. He wants to be like the most high. The world is the counterfeit existence developed by the counterfeit God to keep us from a genuine existence with a genuine God. All right, everybody push pause for a second. I want you to think about what this looks like in 2022. The world does has a pattern. It has a way. It has a way about itself. It wants us to think a certain way. It wants us to live a certain way. It wants us to want certain things. What does it look like for us not to be shaped by the world? What does it look like? What does someone in 2022 look like who isn't molded to the blueprint of the world? Well, we're being called dinosaurs. <clears throat> yeah, traditionalists, mm -hmm. old-fashioned. And that's going to get, that's a gr I'm glad you said that because we're going to see here in just a second. Paul isn't actually talking about the cosmos like we saw in the world. He's actually talking about the era or the age. He's saying don't be conformed to the era that you're in. Which is perfect to what you're talking about. And for each individual, how many times have we silently saw somebody that was doing it right at some point in our lives and we thought, <laughs> yeah, what a nerd. <laughs> Or how many times have we thought, I don't want to look like that? 
I want to I want to be accepted. I want people to look at me and think you know that I'm cool, or I want people to think that I'm powerful. I want people to think all of these things so that my pride is satisfied, so that I look a certain way to the wrong people. So as you consider this seriously, before we push play, you know, think about to yourselves, what does it look like? And is that something you want? Do you want to look conform to this world? And that's, I, I'm asking because for me, it's convicting. I don't want to, but I think I am. Yeah. I think that's honest. I think there's a lot of this. We all want to be cool, be the cool guy, yeah. be well-liked. Right. We all want to be popular, we all want to be liked, we want to be accepted. It's being conformed to the world. And so it's easily done. It is. And so it, there is a... The body of Christ is a collective group of people. And that's what we're here for. To where you're accepted. Uh, hopefully, you're not in sin or something like that that needs to be dealt with in the body. But for the most part, the body's characterized by its love for one another. And it's a place where we encourage one another, we build one another up, and that we alleviate a lot of that pressure that the world puts on each other. That's what your gifts are for. And so when we look at celebrities, they are literally the little mini-gods that we've put up there and said, rich and famous, this is who we want to be like. And you don't have to look very hard even as a non-Christian, to say, do we really want to be like that? Is that what we're saying is acceptable? Is that what we're saying is well-pleasing to the world system? And so Christians should look different. Uh, and for each individual person, we have to think about what that looks like and what we're supporting with our words and with our actions, with our money, with our intentions, all that type of stuff. That's just kind of an instant application moment as we look at this verse because that's the very heart of what we're talking about. It's not meant to make anybody uh, feel weird or like they haven't been doing it or any of that stuff. It's just the truth that we have to think about and look at all sides of Because look what he says here in 1 John. We've seen it already in this passage. But he says, don't love the world. This is the cosmos. Don't love the world nor the things in the world. Because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not any. For all that's in the world, here's our enemies, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That's not from God. That's not from the Father. But it's from the world. The world's passing away. And it's less with it. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And so as you think about that, Christianity should look different from the world. In form, in function, in intentions, and its desires and its goals and objectives, it should look different. Matter of fact, the world is the harvest for us. That's who we're supposed to be examples to. Those are the people that we're supposed to be going to and trying to help them see it better in a different way. And that way is Jesus. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, that is a powerful statement. He's the only way. The way is that the road to heaven is narrow because there's only one way. And that way is through Jesus. And it should look differently for us. And, and, I, and like I said, I wanted to make sure that you guys understand that here in Romans 12 too, 
The word Paul uses here is not cosmos, it's aeon. Like it's where we get eon from. And he's talking about this era, which is interesting because if Paul uses that word in Romans 12 too, and he says, don't be conformed to this eon or this era or aeon, it's always relevant. It's not just for the year 20. It's not just for the year 1020. It's also for the year 2020, <coughs> which we're going to see here in a minute. I had a student that I had a conversation with last week, and she just said that the Bible, the culture was different, the time was different, and what was written for then isn't what's written for today. That's not true. We're going to see why here in just a second. And so I've already had kind of fast forward and asked you this next question. What does this look for us today? Uh, but what does it mean to love the world or be conformed to the world? That's something that everybody I want you to think about for yourself as an application for this week. And think about where you're situated in it and what the implications and applications are for your life. So Paul's giving us a negative. He said, don't be conformed to this world. He gave us what not to do. And now he's going to contrast it with the positive or what we are to do. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed here in the Bible is uh, metamorpho. And as you can imagine, it's the same word that we get the word metamorphosis from. It means transforming or changing into another form. So in the context of this passage, we're not shaped. We're not supposed to be shaped by the world. We're not supposed to be molded by it. But we're supposed to transform. We're supposed to take on another form. So what form? He says, to not look like someone of the world. Okay? To not look like someone of the world means taking intentional steps to be changed. To not look like someone of the world means to take intentional steps to be changed. We're going to talk about this statement for a second because it has a lot of implications when you think about it. And you, you know, This is a take on J.B.'s quote but that he always says but the, <coughs> the truth is, is if you aren't being transformed by the renewing of your mind then you're being shaped by the world. It's not an either or. You're either proactively taking steps to look different or the world system is going to mold you into what it wants you to be. That's why the decision to offer ourselves is a decision that we make as a one-time commitment to continually renew our mind. The decision to offer your lives as a living sacrifice or your bodies as a living sacrifice should be a one-time thing. But that's not what the language says here. Or it does say that, but it also implies that we're continually renewing our minds. Why is that necessary? There's no blanks here. Just talking with you guys. World's continually trying to make us conform to its system. Yeah. So you guys know that those two things together are it. Kevin said uh, we have to make a decision to continually renew our minds, and uh, Chelsea said because we have a flesh. And what does she mean by that? What what, what do we call the flesh? Yeah, it's the natural part of us. It's the part of us that naturally wants what we want without regard to what God wants for us. 
It's the part of us that wants to sin. So that's a bad combination. That the world system is always going to be pulling us, and our flesh is attracted to it. So in order not to be molded to the world system, we have to constantly renew our minds. Okay? So there's this idea here that believers who haven't offered themselves or sacrifices aren't where they should be. Or else Paul wouldn't ask it. Is that true? Here's your life. Here's where you're born. some point, here's where you're going to die. At some point here, you what? You believe. Okay. Once you believe, you, do, are you justified? Do you have eternal life? Okay, are you justified? Do you have eternal life? But what about this time period? This is what we call, and I heard your page just say that this is the, the big $5 theological word, sanctification. We, or you can call it the Christian life, or your life as a Christian. C-H-R-I-S-B. Life. What if you never, what if after this point you never grow, or you never mature as a believer? Do you, yeah. still have, do you still have eternal life? Yes, you just didn't accomplish anything. Yeah. Okay, how do you guys know, by the way, that at this point that you believe that you got eternal life? Okay, it does say it in the Bible. Just give me at least one verse. John 3, 16. Okay, yeah. Okay, what would you say, Penny? John 10, 29, 30. Okay, the sheep passage. Uh... John, what, here's one. What about 1 John 5, 13? Paul, or, uh, John says that you know, it, this is eternal life. This life is in his son. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may what? No. Know. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you will get it. Not that you will keep it, but that you have it. These things I've written to you who believe so that you may know that you have eternal life. So at this point, you've got eternal life. What does it matter if you grow or mature? I am asking that to the group. What does it matter? Rewards. Okay, so Chelsea said there, there is an aspect of rewards. What is the end of... Uh, what does the end of Romans 12, 2 say? Does anybody have it out? Yeah. But do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be discerned. You may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The perfect what? Will of God. <clears throat> do you think it's God's will that believers grow and mature? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. If so, you guys said it, so now we have to talk about it. It's God's will. That's not a small thing. God's desire and his intention for his children is not something to mess around with. 
if you say that it's God's will for us to grow and be conformed to Christ's image, who has responsibility there? Each individual person does. We get the opportunity or the privilege even to participate in the ministry with the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did. We get to partner in the power with the Holy Spirit to do God's will. So it is important. He says right here, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove or discern what the will of God is, that which is good or well-pleasing, that which is acceptable, and that which is perfect. We're going to talk about what he means by that in a second. But what happens between here and here is exactly what we're talking about. Okay? He's dealing with believers. This passage is dealing with believers. It starts here. That's your next blank. I'm going to go back and hit it one more time. Because I said that there's an idea here that believers who haven't <coughs> offered themselves as a living sacrifice at this point aren't where they want to be because you said it was God's will. You're right, by the way. Well, I mean, it says faith without works is dead. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. If we want to, if we want to uh, be effective, then our faith needs to be active. <coughs> Not to have eternal life, but in our Christian life. So if we want our works to be effective, we need to be active. And in order for that to happen, what do we have to know? The Word. The word. And how are, we going to know, how are we going to know what God's will is without the Word? We're going to see here that we can't, but we're getting ahead of ourselves, so we'll come back. So Paul is, believing, or is urging believers in this passage that we have two primary options. Okay? Number one is to be shaped by the world. Don't be molded. Don't go to its, don't conform to its pattern, to its, to its blueprint. Don't be shaped by the world. Uh, it's not in your, there's no blanks here, but I want to ask you a question real quick. There's two sides of that coin. Being shaped by the world. We've already seen that being passive meaning that we're not proactively being renewed or transformed, we get, we get molded to the world. So there's this idea that we can do nothing. Being shaped comes from, number one, doing nothing. That's the slowest way to be shaped. But unfortunately, nobody takes the slow turn. <coughs> we all participate in our shaping. When we actively... I don't know if that's right, but when we actively sin, when our desires match what matches the world's desires, this shaping to look more like the world, we participate in that. And this molding and this shaping happens faster. So to be shaped by the world, that's one of our options. We can do it slowly by doing nothing to grow, or by nothing to serve, or by nothing that God wants us to do, or we can be shaped quickly by participating <laughs> in this fallen world system. Or number two, we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We can be transformed by the renewing of our mind.
and even though we asked the question, I don't, I don't know if we fully satisfied it earlier, but one of the things that I was getting at is part of the reason we have to continually do it is because we continually sin. It's not just succumbing to the flesh. We have to continually renew our mind because life is full of ups and downs, because it's full of trials, because it's full of temptations. All of these things happen. Some battles we win, some battles we lose. And those losing battles, they tend to have a uh, compounding effect. <laughs> Something bad happens in your life, and all of a sudden you don't care. And you grow apathetic, or you grow mad, or you grow angry with God. And uh, yeah, and it's something bad. You start going down this destructive, negative side pattern. Uh, and in those moments, we have to be able to renew our minds. Because if not, we're going to just keep looking more and more like the world wants us to. We're going to keep uh, falling into Satan's snares and his traps. And we become apathetic, and we become ineffective in our service here. Okay, I, I want to say that before we move on. So there's two aspects here on the positive side, which means two things we're supposed to do or to do. Number one is to make a commitment to serve Christ with our body. That's what he says. I'm urging you, I'm begging you, Christians, based on the mercies that God has shown you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's already said that in verse 1. And by the way, he said it, or not verse, yeah, in verse 1, but he also said it back in chapter 6. Don't present your bodies... Don't present your members and your instruments to sin, but present yourselves to God. Number two, continually, and I bolded that for you, continually renew your mind towards this commitment. Continually renew your mind toward this commitment. The commitment does happen all at once. You should make one decision. Not for salvation, but because based on God's mercies, because you understand what he's done for us and its implications here, you have to continually renew your mind towards this commitment. Not so that you gain eternal life, but so that you achieve God's will. His will is for you that you would grow, that you mature, that you look more and more like Christ. And for this specific result that he says here, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, we commit ourselves in service to Christ, and then we continually renew our minds with the goal of recognizing God's good and His pleasing and His complete will. Through the continual renewal of our minds, our actions and our desires, we transform to that which is good, pleasing to God, and mature and complete, which we're going to see here in a minute. This is our sanctification. This is when we begin to align with God's will. <clears throat> this is an area of existence for Christians today that, you know, ain't, by and large, I don't know how, how great we do. Not just as individuals, but collectively. Are we supposed to do it alone? Mm-hmm. We're not. We're, called, we're put into a body for a reason. We aren't the body. We are part of a body. We're not supposed to be lone ranger Christians. We're not supposed to do it alone. We're supposed to be like-minded in our intention and our desire and our will. We're supposed to have the same purpose and march together towards that purpose. But your effectiveness in that is dependent upon you. Or at least 
partially dependent on you and your willingness to participate. And so let's talk about that for a minute. Just like the metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly, the transformation of the believer is from the inside out. Okay? It starts with the inside of you, and it's going to transform out. Or maybe a better way to think about that is in the next statement. Transformation comes from the internal and manifests itself in the external. <clears throat> what do I mean by manifest? Transformation comes from the internal and manifests itself in the external. Yeah, all of those things, it's how it presents itself. It's, it's, it's what comes out. It's what you see. And, and Proverbs says the things are the same thing. He says, guard your heart with all diligence because from it flow the springs of life. Whatever is inside is going to come out. That's the way that it is. Or the way that it should be. You know, as Christians, if we believe this stuff and we say it and we know it, which we do, I think that we know it, believe it, and say it, then it ought to look like it in our words and in our actions. But it doesn't always. And that's why Paul wrote what he wrote in chapter 6. Don't you know that you've died and risen again with Christ to a new life? That's what he said. We saw in the very first lesson, the second lesson. He said that you've, you've died with Christ. And if you died, you rose with him to a new life. So stop sinning. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And don't present the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. That's the same thing that he's getting at here. There should be integrity in our message. What we believe and what we say should manifest itself in our words and our actions. It does matter. Not for eternal life, but for the effectiveness of our Christian life, which someday we're going to get rewarded for. Someday we're not going to be judged for everything that happened here or for our, even our sins here. But we are going to be judged for our effectiveness here. We're going to be given back, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. You're going to be recompensed for the deeds that you've done in this body, whether good or worthless, or good or bad. Living the resurrected life or walking in the newness of life is perfectly epitomized here. He says, so that you may prove what the will of God is. The word for prove used in this passage is dokimizo, and it means to approve or affirm by examination. It means that you look at something, you're examining it, and you say, yep. That is, that's good, or I approve that, or that's the way it's supposed to be. So think about that in the context of this verse. If you're going to dock image of something, if you're going to approve, what are we approving here? What are we looking at and affirming? It is. If we're examining what God's will is, how do we know that? How do we even approve what's happening in our life? How do we filter our words in our actions and in our intentions and in our choices and our decisions. How do we know what to affirm and not to affirm by examination? The practical application for the believer in the context of God's will here, in this passage at least, is that we're to submit to God, offer our lives as a living sacrifice, continually renew our minds, and thereby grow to maturity, the perfect <coughs> aspect of this. And we'll be able to analyze and decide that which is God's will for us in any given situation. And that comes from His Word. 
How do we, that's what I ask you. How do we renew our minds? How do we grow to maturity so that we can prove what is and what isn't God's will? How do we know? That is one of the most practical questions that a Christian can help somebody answer today. How do you know that what you believe is right? How do you know that Christianity is the right religion? That's questions that students are asking here in Stillwater. It's questions that people are trying to answer around the world. How do you know? Well, we know because the Word of God tells us. In order to help somebody understand that, you better know what the Word of God says, which is difficult because a lot of people are brought up to thinking that the Bible, you can't know it all. You can't, and really you can't. But you can, you can know enough you can know enough to help somebody go from point A to point B. You may not have the answer to all of the questions, but you can have all the answers to the ones that matter. And that's what we renew our minds around. In order to examine something and make a decision, we have to have a basis of comparison. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. So let's think about it. So that we may approve, examine and approve what the will of God is. In order to do that, we have to have some sort of basis of comparison so that we'll know what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong. What is the basis of comparison for us? For believers? Yeah, okay, that's great. What is the Holy Spirit? What's one of the Holy Spirit's roles? To convict us Okay, based on what? Matthew teaches this. That's exactly right. Isn't it the Word? Doesn't he, don't we say and believe that if God or Jesus were literally right here in front of us, wouldn't he say the same things to us that are written in the Word? He would. He's spoken and he hasn't studied. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed because he can accurately handle the Word of truth. And that, that translation it has a lot of different words for accurately handling. It could be rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, you have to be able to go and say, okay, this is for that, and this is for that. Uh, this is how this makes sense here. This is where the context applies here. That's rightly dividing because it does make sense. It doesn't contradict. A lot of people can make it uh, the unlearned, what something that uh, Scripture says is uh, the unlearned or the untaught people will try to destroy because they'll see something and try to back their belief system into something that they see. And when you understand Scripture in its context, which you can do, then you can rightly divide it or accurately handle it. Probably my favorite verse on this matter is Hebrews 4.12. And look at it with me here. He says, The Word of God is living and active. What does that mean? Does that mean it changes? Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't mean it changes. What is it, Paige? It's relevant. It's as relevant today in 2022. And it's as active, by the way, which means it has the ability to make application in your life just as well today as it was when it was written. We are not dinosaurs. Our book is not ancient. It is ancient, but its principles are not. They are as relevant in 2022 as they were when they were written. 
God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit. Look there. There's our soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And what is it able to do? It's able to judge what? Your thoughts and your intentions. So as we think about what it means to discern or to evaluate or analyze and approve something, this is it. The Word of God is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. It may not say, you know, don't go do a pound of cocaine before you go do something, but the implication is in Scripture. You know, every every uh, specific circumstance may not be written there, but the principles in Scripture are there to judge your thoughts and intentions. If you're wondering, is what I want to do, is it aligned with God's will? There's enough practical application in Scripture to help you through every single situation in life. It's God's Word. It'll judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. The Second Timothy verse shows us that we're, exam- we're examined and affirmed by God in our ability to know the Word of God because we're not ashamed. You know, we, want to be, we want to be an approved workman. Hebrews shows that the Bible will test our thoughts and our intentions. I think about it as a filter. If you have a thought or if you have an intention, intention, you're like, I wonder if this is what I should do or what I shouldn't do. Just filter it through the Word of God and what comes out should be His will. The Word of God is our basis for comparison for everything that will come across our lives. The Word of God is our basis of comparison for everything that we will come across in our lives. It is essential for believers to know Scripture. It's not optional. In a sense, what I mean by that is in order to be effective in your faith, it's not optional. In order to be effective in your faith, it is essential that we know God's Word. One of my favorite passages about God's promises and His Word, it's actually one of the places that you're guaranteed success. Now, you can talk to me about whether or not this was just for Joshua or whether or not it's for us, but I think the principle applies to us as well, at least in some form or fashion. Who was Joshua? Does anybody know? Robert? Close. He was Moses' replacement. Yeah. Protege. Okay. So the Israelites are all enslaved in Egypt. Uh, God calls Moses out. Moses leads them out, goes into Pharaoh, takes them across the Red Sea, across the desert. Uh, Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it, and God didn't let him go into the promised land because of that. Joshua was faithful. Amongst Joshua and Caleb were faithful. Uh, God passed the mantle from Moses to Joshua. So he's the one that led them into the promised land. Joshua was a stonecutter and a warrior. He's the one that God basically said, go take care of all the people who are in this land that aren't supposed to be in this land. And before he does that, he's going to give him a reassurance. Moses dies. God's going to deal with Moses' protege, Joshua. Look what he says to him. He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, 
and then you will have success. How would you like it if God guaranteed your prosperity and guaranteed your success? And I don't mean prosperity the way that Joel Osteen means it. I don't mean rich and healthy. Because that's not what God means by prosperous. God means that our will matches his will, and there's nothing better than that. That's prosperity. I think that that other stuff may come along with this. That God makes a promise to Joshua. Let me ask you, do you think that someday, because we saw in 1 John just a minute ago, what happens to the world and its lusts? It all passes away. It goes away. We know from 2 Corinthians that we're going to stand where? Here. We're all going to stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. The world that's lost have passed away. You can't take it with you. No matter, no matter how rich, famous, educated, sexy, good-looking, whatever, none of that's going with you. It's all going to pass away. You're going to stand before him in this moment. And what is your prosperity? What is your success going to be based on? What are your rewards going to be based on? Your faithfulness to serve in this body. The things that you've done in this body, according to what you've done, whether good or worthless. We know what those things are, what God's will are. We know because we filtered them through his word. And in that way, when we obey it, when we do what we're supposed to do, no matter what that means, even if you should suffer for the sake of Christ, you are blessed. If not in this life, I say this life, I mean in this body, then certainly in this one. Look what he says to King David. Same thing. Is er, excuse me, Solomon. We, as David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, just like everybody else, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. You know, we look at this and it says that the Lord may carry his promise which he spoke concerning me. If your sons are careful on their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart with all their soul, you shall not lack a man of the throne of Israel. The principle is the same even though this promise was specific. But the, in Psalms 1, he says almost the exact same words and it's a general statement. Okay, would we read it? Does anybody have? Uh, I don't have my. Well, he Bible. says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and oh, in yeah. his law he meditates day and night. And he goes on to say, and whatever he does, he will prosper. prosper. Yeah, good. So, in Psalms one says that uh, the righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of waters. Right. We, his leaves don't wither, and in whatever he does. He prospers because he meditates on the law of the Lord. It's the same thing. The principle is the same. That's for us. 
Let me ask you something. Does someone in 2022 who walks in God's ways, who keeps his statutes, his commandments, and his ordinances, not in the law, but in the word, do they look successful? To the world they know. Unless they are unless there's also been some sort of worldly blessing that came with it. So what does that look like for us? Because it's the whole goal of this thing is we understand our identity in Christ and who we are and what that means for us. What do we look like? What should we look like? Because the blessing is the same. Someday we're not going to care about what people thought about what we were wearing or whether or not we had all our hair and straight teeth. (laughs) That's for real. We won't care about that. Because God's not going to care about it. He's going to look at us for what we've done in this body and whether or not we were faithful to serve him with the gifts, talents, and abilities that he's given us. And in that moment, we may be ashamed because either we knew it and didn't do it or we weren't faithful enough to even know it and we didn't do it. In that moment, what we want to hear him say is, well done, good and faithful servant. And now each one of you have heard it. So you're on the hook. (laughs) Now you've heard it said that you're going to stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ and you're either going to be rewarded for your faithfulness in this body or you're going to be ashamed because you did it. And Jesus gives us a look into what this is going to be like in both the parable of the talents and the parable of the meanest. And in that, those parables, the guys that did it, you know, two of the three heard him say, well done, good and faithful servant because they were faithful to at least serve. And the other guy is just a wicked, lazy slave. I don't want to be a wicked, lazy slave, even though I am often. Even though I know it. So, for us, these Old Testament passages matter. And will someone look at Hebrews 5, 11 through 14? And read it out loud. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Hebrews is towards the back of the New Testament. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who takes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. That's a powerful, oh. powerful. 22? Say again? <laughs> so 22? Um, yeah, I know, right? Mm-hmm. So he's talking about this guy named Melchizedek, who's mentioned in Genesis. And the author of Hebrews says, you know, I've got a lot to say about that, but you guys, you're not ready. He says, you have need for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food because solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil or right and wrong. So here, we've got these believers. I don't know how long it was between the time that this author of Hebrews saw them and not, but it, wasn't, it couldn't have been very long. 
And he said, look, I want to teach you guys the meaty stuff. You're not ready. You're still infants. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And how often is that us? It's where I may, um, I couldn't understand it even if somebody taught it to me because I don't have the basics. I don't have the foundation to stand on. And you're like, well, I guess I'll just never know, so I'm going to go kick her up. No, that's not what you're supposed to do. If you don't know, there's a remedy to that. If you're afraid, there's a remedy to that. If you don't know what to say, there's a remedy for that. It only takes a little bit of effort. I mean, you guys here tonight are showing the effort. You don't have to be here. You could be doing something else somewhere else. But we've come together because we want to grow and we want to mature. And we want to understand the elementary principles of the workers of God so that we can grow and move on from the milk and start eating some meat. And so if you think about this on a growth scale, you know, like here's, here's the example, just like it says in uh, Ephesians 4. And so we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Jesus set the bar up here. We're supposed to look like that. But when we're here, we're just little baby infants. And we're down here on the scale. And we want to grow. And we want to be conformed to the image of Christ so that we look like Him in word. And we look like Him in action. And we look like Him in deed and decisions and how we live our lives. That's not easy. Because it means work. It's work. And it's sacrifice. You have to give up, you know, game four of the World Series to be here tonight. You have to give up uh, your time, your effort, your energy, your emotions, your resources, all of that stuff. You have to sacrifice. You have to make, in order to make your life count for Christ, you're sacrificing what the world wants you to do. And it's, by the way, it's an easy decision. And that's why Paul begs us. I urge you. I'm urging you. He's talking about the exact same stuff we're talking about now. And so like Paul, I beg you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can know what the will of God is. And this is what, this is what it is. It's his will, as he says in Romans 8, 29, we're supposed to be conformed to the image of the Son. We want to look like Jesus, but he set the bar really high. Nobody as a Christian believes one day not one person, not even Paul, went from day one to boom, here looking like Jesus. He had, to, hey, he had to have three years of training. And so don't be discouraged. Don't think that you can't get there because you can. It just takes a little bit of effort, a little bit of sacrifice, which is an easy sacrifice to make, especially considering this is coming. the judgment seat of Christ where we get to talk to Jesus about the sacrifice we made. And that can, it can be an opportunity. We don't have to look at it with dread or with fear or with shame because we can make a decision now and say, you know what, I want my life to count for Christ. I want to be conformed to his image. I want the rest of my life from the time that I believe to the time I die to count for him. I want to serve the body in love. 
All that takes is just a little bit of effort, a little bit of participation, because he's giving you everything else. He's giving you the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's giving you gifts to serve. All it takes is a little bit of faithfulness. So finally, the results of your logical, based on his mercies, it's only logical, your well-pleasing sacrifice is to know what God's will is and subsequently what it isn't. And so Paul describes the things of God's will which are recognized by them being, or described maybe instead of recognized, being good. Just means good nature, it's useful, it's beneficial. So that you may prove what the things of God are, what the will of God is, that which is beneficial, what is useful, what is good. Number two is acceptable. We already saw this last week, that this is well-pleasing. It should make sense to us that God's will is well-pleasing to him. <laughs> it's good. He is good, meaning his will is good. God's will is good, and it's acceptable, and it's perfect, which has the idea of bringing to completion, maturity, if you will. Grow to completion, be mature, lack nothing. This is ultimate maturity. And we want to grow and grow in our lives in this body. All right, anybody have any questions or comments before we get to the last part of this? Does all of this make sense? I know that we use big words like justification and sanctification. Does it make sense that we're supposed to grow in our spiritual life to look more and more in Jesus? And that someday if we do, we're going to stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ for rewards? Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. We've seen from this study that Paul is begging or urging with emphasis that we as believers make the logical decision to sacrifice our lives in service based on his mercy to us. Through this commitment and consistently renewing our mind or our perspective based on the word of God, we are to grow to maturity lacking nothing. This is what is well-pleasing and good to God. A mature, lacking nothing Christian is an effective Christian. That's his will. So in summary, we're told to present ourselves to God in Romans 6. We're urged with emphasis to offer our lives as sacrifices to God here in Romans 12. We should offer ourselves to God because we want to and because we should. Both. It's only logical to offer our lives as sacrifices based on the magnitude and implications of God's mercies. Never forget that. There's nothing more relevant and there's nothing more important than the mercy that he's shown us. Because through his mercy, we have life and life forever. So based on that, you have life and you have eternal life forever with him. Because of that, it's only logical that we offer our lives up to him. Knowing that the world will shape us or will mold us to its desires if we don't renew our minds and be transformed. What do we renew our minds with? with the word that's going to filter what we're supposed to do that's how we're going to know his will that's how we're going to be transformed continually the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit yeah not just the word yeah and I'm trying to include that when I say that we're participating with the Holy Spirit so thank you for that and that's actually what I said in the next one we can only know God's will through his word and the enlightening 
of the Holy Spirit. And here's the truth. And they, they go together. You can't have one without the other. The more you know and apply, <coughs> with emphasis underline apply, because knowledge alone does nothing, the more you know and apply, the more you grow and mature. Okay? So here's some applications. We've talked about some already, but know God's Word. Read it, study it, if you can memorize it, but certainly apply it. Certainly apply it. Read it, study it, memorize it, and apply it. If you don't have resources for this, come and talk to me. There are tons of good resources out there. One of the favorite things that I've done in the last couple of years <coughs> is a book by one of the missionaries that we support, Jeff Anderson. He wrote a book called The Power Read. It's fantastic. I think you guys did it. I did it with a group of people. Uh, one of my favorite things is that every time I go through the Bible, I'm like, oh, I want to get every detail. I don't want to miss anything. And by the time I get to, you know, numbers, I'm done. But to power read, one thing it emphasizes is pick a theme and don't worry about it. You're going to pick up on stuff because the Holy Spirit's going to enlighten it as you go. Just read through it, pick a theme. Uh, one of the themes that we picked was the seed of Christ. In Genesis 3.15, a promise is made to Adam and Eve that the seed of woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. That goes all the way through Abraham in Genesis 12 to David in 2 Samuel 7, all the way to Mary in Luke 1. We see the seed and how God tracks that all the way through the Old Testament. And so that was a theme I picked, and I picked up on a lot of stuff that way. But you also get to see how God deals with Israel as a whole. Uh, and then really the implications and applications for the believer in the New Testament. So if, you don't, if you're like, man, I don't know how to do it, uh, come talk to me, or there's other people in this body that you can talk to. The Power Read is a great resource for that. Um, use God's Word to compare your thoughts and intentions with His will. Okay, that's what He says in Hebrews in 4.12. Everybody gets caught up on the, it's alive and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword that pierces as far as the vision of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. But the best part of that verse is the end. It says it's able to judge your thoughts and intentions. That's the filter. It's able to judge your thoughts and intentions. That's your application. So to use it, use the word to compare your thoughts and your intentions, your judgments, your decisions, your words, your actions, all that stuff. Consider God's mercies for you in your life. When you start pulling on that string, I said it last week, it never stops. He is literally giving you innumerable mercies and innumerable grace. And when you start to consider those things, and you just start listening to them in your head. When you lay down at night, start thinking about all the things that he's done for you, all the things that he's done to you, everything that he's given to you and for you. It never stops. Commit your lives to service to Christ. That's what Paul, that's the whole point. That's what Paul's begging you. He's urging us to do this. And you don't have to go to seminary to do it. You don't even have to, you don't even have to be in this building to do it. You can have a ministry wherever you're at. Your actions and how you interact and engage and treat people at work is one of the most effective ministries that you can have. Do you love people? Do they see you and understand you as loving? Well, that's your children. What a great ministry there is there. And then if you're like, yeah, I'm past that point, Stillwater Bible's got lots of places we can plug you in. You can have a ministry wherever you are in your sphere of influence. Resist the temptation to conform to the world. 
Because we have it, just like Chelsea said, we have a flesh. And Kevin said the rule system is going to pull us to it. But we, just like we saw in that one lesson, we have to be alert and stand firm so that we can resist. Okay? Resist the temptation to conform through the renewing of your mind, which means Scripture. And just like we saw in Hebrews 5, long for the milk so that you can mature to the meat. You know, if you're like, I'm definitely not ready for the meat, then, then get the milk. And eventually you will be. And that's what I have on this next one. Consider what may be holding you back. Because I've asked you all today. I said that you're on the hook. And you are, in a sense. Because you're all going to stand before the, the Jesus who is Christ. Yeah, sure is something. Yeah. You consider what is holding you back. And for me, it's been, you know, I've never been able to talk as well as I can write. Mm. And one of the things I like about writing, especially right now, is you only have to send out your first draft. <laughs> I write it, rewrite it. And um, I have a nephew who lives in Nebraska, and he's in a mental health uh, facility. And I do. I do my serving on um, him um, through letters. That's great. I think that's powerful. The written word is maybe even more powerful than the spoken word because it persists. You know, that camera is capturing what I'm saying, but someday maybe it won't. You know, somebody can always look at those letters that you've written him and. You know, the book, the Bible, is written word. Sometimes I look at those letters that I wrote and thought, oh, I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Same. Yes. I've done the exact same thing. Yeah. Maybe it was right at the time. I don't know. Yeah, so I, I shared with you that I originally wrote this in 2016, and as I'm going back and editing it, I'm like, oh, man. Where did I get that from? What I still know? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking in my mind. I'm going to reference that somewhere. But yeah, it's great. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, so what's holding you back? Because here's this verse again. Because who's there to harm you if you prove zealous for what's good? Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And you will be. Don't so don't further intimidation. Who's there? Who's the there in there? The world. It is. Don't further intimidation. And don't be troubled. But set apart Christ or sanctify Christ as the Lord in your hearts. And always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. And do it with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing which you are slandering, those who will revile your good behavior in Christ will put to shame. Someday Jesus is going to make this all right. And he will. And in that moment, just like Paul says in Philippians, we have reason to glory because you didn't run in vain nor toil in vain. That's what I hope. And I fail every day. And I'm, I'm in a slump right now. It's hard. It's, it's, a, it's a, the persistence and perseverance part of the Christian life is not easy because Satan does not want it to be easy. He sets his will against the people who are active because his resources are limited. And so how we interact and engage and renew our minds determines somewhat our effectiveness to participate with the Holy Spirit in His ministry. 
So we need a body of believers to help encourage us, to motivate us, to love us through it, so that we can get back to a point to where we can do the same thing when somebody else is going through it. And so this is a powerful verse that Peter writes here in 1 Peter 3. Who's there to harm you if you prove zealous for good? That's a perspective verse. How does this thing end? With Jesus dead or Jesus alive? Who's going to be on the throne for eternity? So who's going to harm you if you prove zealous for good? Nobody can really harm you. You're always going to live forever even if you die in this body. And even if you should suffer, like many have suffered in the past for the sake of righteousness, you are, not will be, even presently, you are blessed because there's going to be a great reward in that. Don't fear the intimidation of the world. Don't be troubled, but sanctify Christ and Lord in your heart. And here's the, here's the application. Be ready. Be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account. Because I promise you, the more you go here, the more people are going to ask you to give an account. Because you're going to live like it, and people are going to start asking questions. And you have to be ready to do it with gentleness and reverence. Because most of the time they don't ask nicely when they're coming at you. They're coming to defeat you, and to defend you, to malign you, and to challenge you. And then this last part's beautiful. Keep a good conscience. That just means be above reproach. Don't, have any, don't let anybody say anything against you. So that in the thing which you're slandered, it won't be true. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame because of it. That's what he's getting at here. So with these things in the back of your mind, and as we're, we're going to talk about love next week, which is our motivation for service. And this is the encouragement. This is the conviction lesson. You guys know it now, and now you're kind of on the hook. If, if you believe the things that we've talked about, and you believe the things that we've said throughout the course of the semester, you are a new creature. The old things have passed away. The dominance of the flesh is done. Its bondage over you has been broken. You're no longer slaves to sin. Now we get the opportunity to chain ourselves to Jesus. We don't have to. A lot of people here don't. They're still going to have eternal life, but they're going to be ashamed of this coming. So where do you want to be here? Because this little speck of life, this little speck of existence is short on the grand scheme of things. You're going to exist forever, but what you do here matters. So let's encourage and convict one another on as the day draws near.